0: So, Christmas is soon upon us. I love Christmas season. I love the time frame. I did hear a um a song today. Linda and I had a uh, breakfast meeting in Castle Rock, and so we were driving up there, and she's flipping through the stations and um I'm trying to get some beauty sleep and and uh so uh she's going three or four different stations, I'm I'm about half paying attention, and and there's a song that comes on, all I want for Christmas is a really nice tan, (laughs) it's like a country song, which was its first mistake, (laughs) and I'm thinking, why do we, why do we let that trash on our radio stations, you're supposed to have snow, and uh, mountains, and cold, the idea that you'd be sitting, something about sitting on the beach watching the palm trees sway. All I want for Christmas is a real good tan. Come on, people. <laughs> which is which is my wife's heartbeat. That really is her. She wants, she would rather be on the beach for Christmas than anywhere else. Is she still back there now that I'm running my mouth? Okay. <clears throat> so we have a bunch of stuff this weekend. You see the tent out there. Uh, we, we're going to be having um Breakfast for kids. Well, I guess adults can eat too. But um, and then there's going to be a hay ride and a petting zoo. And then they're going to take them downstairs, and there to be a bunch of stuff going on downstairs, all kinds of things with that. A um, lot of stuff happening. But you do have to sign up the kids on that. So if your kids aren't signed up, and and I and I I mean we're going to let everybody that shows up come to this, but it's very very packed already. According to the numbers that we know, we can put in the rooms and do the different things. About fifteen twenty kids per room as we go through and do stuff, and so um, get the get the kids. While we were setting the tent up yesterday, a bunch of people were interested and kept driving by, and and a couple people asked about, um, you know, what are we doing? And I know a couple families went to go sign up after that, and and uh, so so then, in the evening Saturday evening is the production, and that uh, it's an all day thing. I mean, we're stopping for a few hours in the middle, but. In the production in the evening, we got two of those. Um, I don't remember the times, 5 and 7, is, is that right? 5 and 7 for the, uh, for the evening things. Looking forward to that. Uh, we've got some budding stars right here amongst us uh, in the room tonight. It's, it's, uh, it gives me goosebumps to think about it. But uh, <laughs> a lot of, I mean, it's going to be a good weekend, a lot of stuff. And then for um, Christmas Eve morning, Sunday morning is Christmas Eve morning, uh, we're only going to have one service. We're going to have a 10 o'clock service here, and then that night we're having a normal uh, Christmas Eve service, which is 6 o'clock. So one service on Sunday, 10 o'clock. Uh, okay? Don't, I mean, you can show up whenever you want, but we, won't, we will have one 10 o'clock Sunday morning service, and children's church during that um, for the kids if they want to do that. So, so <clears throat> before I jump into this, there's no, this is not a trick question. I'm not trying to, don't put on your, your spiritual church hat and answer this question. Just, I just, I like these kind of things. I, I ponder this kind of stuff. What, what is the, um, what is the best Christmas present you ever got? Yes, ma'am. That's cool. That's cool. 1968 was the year my brother was born. He's older than me. <laughs> Tom? Your dollar's older than me. I still consider it silly. there's an instruction manual <laughs> <laughs> for bicycles yeah that that was that's probably my favorite Christmas present as a kid. I mean, you got adult and a kid, but my uncle bought me and my brother Schwinn three speed, and uh man, that was. We were big time then. It was like a real bike, instead of the stuff my dad found at the garage sales. You know. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else, Jacob? That's probably we didn't want to know that story, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's your favorite Christmas present? Yes. Because <laughs> it, <happened once. laughs> it only happened once, right. <laughs> well, I guess there's the bright bright side of that one. It only happened once. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and nowadays, your books on audio are becoming ju- just very common now. Very common. Yes, ma'am. Right, it's your name, it's your gun. So when somebody gets shot with it, it's your gun. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody else? Favorite Christmas present? What about favorite Christmas present you have given? It's sometime in the past. I I have two or three in that category. Okay, Let me pause before we start answering that question. And um, everybody turn around and look at Josh. Josh, show us who's number one. You're number one. (laughs) Uh, Josh hurt himself pretty good today. He took his fingernail off while he was working on the tent. Something about sledgehammer you shouldn't put your finger between the sledgehammer and the stake or something like that or I don't know details details but uh yeah it was pretty bad <laughs> I was I was on a uh I was on a conference call a, a counseling conference thing that I that I do weekly and somebody's not around here which is why we're online and uh he comes walking in and it's all you know the nail and it's all bleeding and everything and I, I didn't think about it. I just stopped, and he said, "You think I should go to the hospital?" And the people on the screen are just going, "Cause I'm saying, yeah, your nail's coming off. You're not saving that nail, and and you're getting blood all over me, and you know things like that." And, and they and I turn back, look at the computer, and they're going, <laughs> "Do you need to go?" <laughs> so, okay, favorite Christmas present you've given. That Heather. That's cool. And they'll remember that forever. Yeah. <clears throat> so for me um, first year Lynn and I were married so our anniversary is Friday and uh, so we, we get married on the 15th 10 days later is Christmas so I was the uh, youth pastor of a church in West Texas and so we, we, I flew back to East Texas, we got married, and then um, 10 days later, we're having Christmas in, in our, in our apartment, I've been living in this apartment for, for a few months, and, and, uh, but I had saved up and saved, up. I made almost no money, I mean, I, I, I made $200 a week as a youth pastor, that's what I made, that's it, that was, that was total, that was gross, okay. There was no insurance plans. There was no mileage stuff. There was $200 a week. That was it. And I was happy to do it. I thought, I'm getting paid to be a youth pastor. Who does that? So, um, But I saved and saved and saved. And uh, I'm going to ask Linda if she remembers this. Linda, what, what did I get you the very first year for Christmas? Um, boots. Yes, a pair of cowboy boots from Justin. Justin Red Ropers. She was a cowgirl. When I met her, she was a cowgirl. She wore cowboy boots all the time, and and, uh, talk Texan, and now she wears, like, walking boots or something. I don't know what they are, motorcycle riding boots. But uh, I had saved up and saved up and saved up, and that was a big deal to me. I mean, that was a major big deal to me was the very first Christmas, And, and I know this sounds crazy, but these boots were like $150. Well, when you make $200 a week, that's a big chunk of money. And, uh, but I was so excited to get her that. Then the next year for Christmas, I got her something that her and I, if I say this, some of you can be like, oh, you didn't. But, but her and I really liked the fact that we got this gift for kind of each other for Christmas. Second year? Was it second year? Vacuum cleaner? Got a vacuum cleaner? You bought your wife a vacuum cleaner for Christmas? Yeah, when you're poor, you celebrate that one. You're doing a little jig because you got a vacuum cleaner for Christmas. So, oh, you always bring that up because you hated them. Oh, okay. My bad. I got all confused there. I, I got her vision wear and she hated it. So. So uh So favorite Christmas present you've got for someone. Jacob, you got another dress story you want to So so you've handed down tradition and you bought your boy's a dress <laughs> So nobody who Yes, ma'am. I gave something to Tom that I was able to take out of the budget without him really noticing the fact that I bought him a sleigh mantle clock because he he likes clocks. That's cool. And it it was after we first moved here that I bought him this clock. That's really cool. Yeah, you couldn't be in the Air Force where they just pay you a bunch of money. (laughs) Anybody else? Either one. Favorite gift you received or favorite gift you've given? Sarah, I see you wanted to say something. (laughs) <laughs> it was special because it was it. <laughs> yes, ma'am. That's a you, man. Did you guys hear her? Um, one of her most memorable gifts was her husband bought her a coffee pot but she doesn't drink coffee. He does. <laughs> that's a that's a thinking man right there. Yeah, that is. That is cool when that happens. Diana, i <laughs> a You're the best daughter ever. <laughs> yeah. I just thought about it. We just, Lynn and I just passed a milestone. We just got our first um, real Christmas present from our married kids this year. They just sent it. They just shipped it to us. Nice. You know the heaters that are like at outdoor restaurants on the patios? They got us one of those to put on our back deck. Big tall thing. Yeah. You know what your first instinct is. I don't know about you, but my first instinct is, can you guys afford this? Are you okay? you know, why don't you guys just get yourself something? But you don't want to say that because they'll take that wrong, right? But I don't mean that. I don't want them to spend money on me. But the heater is pretty cool. I will say that. But, but, yeah. Okay. Anybody else? Jacob. Because it's nostalgic, too. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I get that. Yeah, that's that's cool. You know, for, for Lynn and I for years now, w- with a lot of things, um, we still give gifts to each other and things like that, but that's just not the s- same. I mean, it's if she doesn't get me anything, I'm going to gripe and whine about it, but I don't really have to have anything. But um, I'm going to make her feel bad for a week or two but I really in my heart <laughs> my heart I don't want anything. For us when we do this with our anniversary and everything for us just going to dinner together just hanging out for dinner together. I uh I made special plans with her this Friday to uh we're going to go to breakfast together um for our anniversary kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I texted her during our staff meeting Monday because I was thinking I need to go meet with some guys about the building and some things. And I make mean, could do that Friday. So I texted her, what are we doing Friday morning? She said, our anniversary? Yeah, I want to do something special. <laughs> 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 yes, that day, our anniversary day. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, now that's one thing. We we don't do we don't we don't really spend a lot of money, especially right now. You know, you, holiday seasons you're tight. It's just we've been kind of tight financially lately, and so we're not spending. But but eating out is something I will spend money on. And that's where I got to be careful because that's where that's where my downfall is. I don't have to buy things. I don't need knickknacks. I don't need stuff like that. But man, going to a nice restaurant, nice, good idea. That's my love language. Food is my love language. So, okay, so now, now I'm going to, let's go to Romans 8. We've, we've looked at some of this scripture, but I want to jump down a little bit farther. But let me ask the question the same way, and this is a spiritual, this just, I was just thinking about this as, as uh, Jacob <clears throat> was saying that, um, kind of put in perspective kind of thing, you know. So So here's an interesting question, I think. What would, from you, now you've got to, personally in your mind and you can answer it out loud too i I wouldn't i would like that but this is a question for you this is not a general question when usually when we ask these kind of questions we kind of subconsciously make it a general church question kind of thing we don't think personally but if 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 um if you could say and you can ask it one way or the other either from jesus what would jesus like from you for christmas or what would you like to be able to give to Jesus for Christmas? Um, and I'm going to say, I'm going to assume that every one of us in here are Christians. Let's just start with that. If you're not, that's the answer to that question, okay? Your soul. But but say we're all Christians, and uh, I just want to generalize. I, I look across, and I, I, I know a few of you I know are not. Um, so let's just assume that all of us in here are Christians. And... Uh, get that one off the table, what, if you could say, I think this would be something that either Jesus would want from me or I could give, I think that's kind of the same question, but uh, what do you think that might be? That's got to be toward the top, if not the top of the list, right? I mean, doesn't it? I've been thinking about this so much. And and I know that a lot of things over our churches uh last six to nine months have just added to this so much more. But you know, nobody nobody on their deathbed ever says, I wish I could go into work one extra day. Right? You know what I'm saying? I wish I had, you know, ten thousand more dollars in the bank or something. And and by the way, I've spent a lot of time. Over the years, a lot of moments with people at their last breath. I've have, I've have watched a lot of people in my life take their last breath, and um, and the conversations right before that are always a- almost identical. They're always about family, about friends, the closest people in your life, um, making sure they're okay. Uh, you know, don't worry about me. I'm fine. I wish I could have spent more time, you know, usually right after some, somebody says, you know, a kid that flies in that hadn't seen mom and dad in 10 years, I wish I would have had more time. That one's always ironic to me, you know. Um, well, then why didn't you fly in last week? Right? But it, relationships are a big thing, so that's got to be, doesn't that have to be toward the top of the list, that if Jesus could say to you right now, this is what I would like from you. You want to give me something for Christmas this year? This is what I would like. It's one of those, at least in the top three, has got to be, I just want more time with you. Just time. I just, I just need more time. Unadulterated, right? You understand what I'm saying? Not, not with all the other stuff. This is one of the things, I've used this example different times over the years, but specifically when your kids are little, parents of younger children, like 10 and under kind of thing, uh, you're just busy all the time, you're just busy, 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 and you never come up for air for years. You never come up for, for a decade. You don't come up for air. And and one of the things that in, in counseling couples a lot over the years that the the, um, the basic thing with with that the, with the mom and dad in those circumstances they don't ever have time with the other person, the spouse, because of the kids. The kids are demanding, right? Uh, one, two, three. You throw four or five in there, and you just you don't have an existence you are not an individual and just to have time with each other and it's interesting that while we understand that dynamic with natural relationships it's like we forget that when it comes to relationship with God you just we don't think about doesn't he just want time with us right so, something else what what do you think what do you think Just, just basic obedience. Yeah. Yeah. It, in in the epistles of John, where he says, um, "If you say that you love me, but you don't keep my commandments, what does he say? It's a lie. You can't say that you really love me and not obey me. You just can't. Those are." Those are not compatible. Disobedience and love do not go hand in hand. And and, there's, there is, and, and we like to really shape our Christianity today and, and so much influence from some Calvinism where it's, you know, once saved, always saved kind of thing. We, 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 we get so much influence from that that it's almost like it doesn't matter what you do. As long as you verbally say some affirmation toward Jesus, you're all good. Everything's okay. Life is okay. Jesus is good with you. Everything's good. Except scripture disagrees with that over and over and over. He says, "How can you say you love me?" I this is this is what always comes into my mind during this. And I and I've had many, many different conversations with with couples in counseling over the years about this specific subject. In fact, I talked with a, a gentleman this morning um, that was asking about a couple that he knew that was going that had been going this was from years ago had gone through infidelity and and uh, adultery different things in their marriage, and we were talking about that and and this is what always comes to my mind when I think of the scripture that that basically you 're lying if you say you love jesus but don 't do what he says it 's the same concept for a male or female it doesn 't matter i 've seen both over the years where they there 's a there 's an affair. And the person says, well, it didn't mean anything. I didn't love them. When I hear that, I always hear the same thing. Not that person saying to them about the third person, I didn't love them. What I'm hearing is, I really don't love you. That's what I hear. Well, they didn't mean anything to me. I didn't love them. I love you. They wouldn't be in this if you loved them. That's all. That's how simple that is. How can you say that you love them and cheat on them? That's not compatible. Doesn't matter what you verbalize. Doesn't matter how you get that out of your mouth or try to justify it in your mind or whatever. That it doesn't exist. You can't. You can't have both of those. Well, I guess you could say well, I really do love them, although I cheated on them. But, but here's the reality. You love somebody else more. It's you. Way more. Way, 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 way more. Right? So, So, just doing what he says. W- wouldn't it be cool this year if we just proactively said, Lord, I'm going to do the very best that I can to just obey you. Whatever you tell me doesn't matter whether I like it or not. doesn't matter whether I feel like it's the best option or justified, or whatever, but I'm just going to do what you say. I'm going to do what your word says. Think how, think how different our lives would be. Just, just this year, how different they would be. Anything else you're saying, this is, this is something... That, Yeah, she she says basically witnessing to people, bringing people to Jesus. Um, This is interesting. If you look in Scripture, you can give the Lord yourself, okay? But after that, there's nothing else you can give the Lord except bringing a soul to him. You cannot give him anything else after you give him yourself except another soul there's no material thing there's no there's nothing tangible there's not you can't give him governments you can't give him uh money i mean you can't give him anything but when you hand someone to him that that truly is the only thing in scripture we see i'm saying besides yourself the only thing we see where you can actually give god something and we talk about uh, we're going to give him our praise and those kind of things. That, that's a sacrifice from you. That's part of you. That's, that's your existence. That's your sacrifice, the sacrifice of you to him. Um, that's not another thing. It's not, a, it's not something else. In fact, this is one of the things I think we get confused in the church world about worship is we think it's something that we're going to get together and do this is why sometimes church is struggling. worshiping is because now we're going to put our worship coat on and we're going to sing and we're going to do all this stuff and we're going to worship. And then we, we take it back off afterwards. That's why we labor through it sometimes. It's like walking through quicksand because it has to be us. It is us. It's, it's, it's the, the, the labor of ourself being sacrificed to the Lord. The only other thing is handing him a person. Saying, I've talked to them about you. I love you so much, Jesus. I've talked to them about you. I've used this example before when it comes to witnessing and having to do with the concept of uh, relationships, really close relationships, like very deep friendships, marriage, and things like this. Um, <clears throat> taking from the scripture that says, if you deny me, um, I will deny you kind of thing. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of what the scripture says, right? If you deny me before people, deny me before men kind of thing. So I was thinking about this years ago, kind of a revelation in, in my um, relationship with Linda was if, if um, I want to be careful. I don't want to overdo this a little bit, but I want to make sure you understand where I'm going to go with this. Um, if If you're both, feeling romantic and, and love is in the air and you say to each other I really love you that means a lot right? means a lot but what does it mean more when love is in the air to say I love you to that person or use the the other extreme, you're at the work site and a couple of the, I'm going to use males, a couple of the guys are standing around picking on the old ball and chain at home. And you stand up and to them at that moment and say, I don't talk about my wife that way. My wife is not the ball and chain. She's my best friend. She's my everything. And then your wife hears about it. Which, which does she like more? That one. Right? Well, it's the same way with Jesus. When, when, the, when, the, when we're in church and the song's being sang and Pastor is amazingly playing the piano and the worship is happening and we say to Jesus, I worship you, that means a lot to him. But don't you think it means more when you're in the public setting And you say to somebody that's going through something, I know the answer to your problems. It's Jesus. He's the everything. Don't you think that means more? In the balance of that? So, just to process that. That's gone too far. If something happens to you and you blame God but you still say you love him, I think that would be even more. Yeah. it really does. Yeah, when, when things are going well, it's easy to say, wow, God's a good God. When things are going difficult is when that becomes a faith issue and becomes a true relationship issue. Same way with marriage. I, I tell you, one of the most amazing things I've seen over the years, and I've seen it many times, is uh, is marriages that have had moral failure and things like that, and they put them back together. There's there's something about grace and forgiveness and and reconciliation. That man, that's pretty deep. At that point, and I say that as a person that's walked with a lot of people through that in counseling, but I don't know if I could do that myself. I just don't know. But, th- but to me, that's you want to see grace at work. I don't know if there's too many, too many better examples on the planet than that right there. That's really grace. We, we, me and some guys were talking about this just recently about the idea that. This is the sin that we have, or this is the problem that you have with somebody else. Well, take yourself first in a relationship with Jesus. If this is the sin that you have, God's grace is this big, and that's how he can look at us covered with the blood and present us to himself as perfect. It's not because we are perfect, it's because his blood has so much blotted out all of the stuff that we have done and that we are that make and then makes us pure with him, that he literally sees purity. Because of the enormity of his grace, not because, not because he's lying to himself or he's schizophrenic or something, but because his grace is so big, it eclipses our sin. It, it literally, at some particular point, I don't know how it works, but it blinds him to our sin because his grace covers and forgives and, and washes that sin away. And then he presents us to himself as perfect. And in Ephesians 5, that's what he says, husbands, you're supposed to do with your wives. You present her to yourself as Perfect. And that's, that's where the challenge is, because she's not perfect, and you know it. You have a list of the not perfectness. And it's better to say, but I present you to myself as perfect. That is big grace. And by the way, wives are supposed to do that with husbands too, but the, but the verbiage is, is a little different, the dynamic's different. But you're, you let the grace, you let the grace that you want from Jesus so cover your existence that that grace is extended to others. In fact, I'm talking a little bit about kind of a different angle of that this weekend coming up, is to really be able to say to, to people, humanity in general, uh, I'm, I'm going to walk with you with grace. Letting that be the kind of the, the foundation there. Jacob, did you raise your hand? Yeah, that's the concept of, of bringing somebody to Jesus. That Scripture says when you give somebody a, a cup of cold water in his name, you're doing it like you're doing it to him. That's a gift. That's a human that you're basically saying to the Lord, Lord, they're yours. Well, how do we prove that we know that they are his? We serve them. Th- this is one of the things the church struggles with sometimes is we say we love people, but we don't really bring them to Christ in serving them to Christ. We We like to... Talk about the masses of humanity. We love them. But what are you doing? What are you engaging? When, when are you engaging them with kindness or something? When are you doing this? We were talking about this in our staff meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, I think. Um, talking about uh, serving people in our community and, and really being intentional about trying to, you know, just just look at three or four people around our house. that You know, your neighbors just kind of around you and do something for Christmas. Take them some cookies or something. No strings attached. You're not inviting them to church. I mean, if they ask, you know, Are you a Christian? Do you go to church? Can I go to that church? D- yes, say yes to that question. But this isn't about even necessarily witnessing to them at that moment, especially if you don't know them. Uh, let the cookies do the talking. Do something, right? You could do something. It's not hard. None of us in here, none of us in here has a legitimate reason why we couldn't go visit the, the three or four houses right around us and just say Merry Christmas. We can all do that. Take them something. If if the wife burns dinner, take them that. It doesn't have to be something big. But take them something. Do something. Just to say, hey, I'm here. Appreciate you. One of the reasons we struggle with that sometimes is because we might not have been very good neighbor all year. Dun dun dun. Right, we can do this. Just, just love people. Just love them. Just love them somehow. Cool. Okay, I want to go back to um, Romans chapter eight. And um, we looked at this a month and a half ago, walked down through it. This is in verse 22. It says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Um, I-, I focused really on the, um, the couple of scriptures right before it. Um, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom, death, and decay. But I want to look at verse 22, and then we're going to go down a little bit further. Now, this is in the context we've been looking at about The um, God's creation, His cosmos. That when Jesus Christ, John three sixteen, again, John three sixteen says, "For God's love the world." Remember that word "world" is not planet, people, or time frame. Okay, aeon is the Greek for that—a specific time. It is the word cosmos. He could have meant people. He could have said people if he meant people, but he didn't just mean people. He didn't just mean the planet Terra Firma. He didn't mean a, t- a specific time of, of uh, the existence of creation. He specifically said cosmos because he's trying to, s- it's a bigger subject than what we give it credit for, okay? So, for God so loved his perfect, amazing creation that he sent Jesus Christ to put this back in order. He sent Jesus to die on the cross so that humanity could be made right with God and start the process of creation being brought back or redeemed back to God. Okay, Now, in verse 22, it says, For we all know that creation has been groaning. And usually I stop right there and we talk about that, but the, the next part of the sentence is, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Why does he use that mental picture as a, as a qualifier for the type of groaning that creation is doing? Remember, nothing in Scripture is an accident. It's not coincidental. When he says something, he's specifically trying to get us to think a certain way so that we understand uh, the truth of the deeper understanding of who God is in the process. So he says, he's talking about this cosmos. He's talking about this perfect creation that he's designed, puts humanity at the middle of it, humanity sins, and and, and begins the destruction and the perversion and the broken, breaking of this creation. Not just... Not just the loss of a soul, but the breaking of creation, the destruction of all of His creation, the destruction of His perfection. That's what happens when Adam and Eve sin. And by the way, that's still what happens when we sin. Okay? When we sin, we bring darkness to the table, the, the um, a big thick molasses of, of evil, we bring with just We think it's just a sin. It's just going to do this little moment. It's like a, a point somewhere in this spherical map of, of etherealness in our existence. That's where that sin was. But it's not. It is, it, it is us. It, it gets in our spirit. It brings darkness with it. It's not isolated to a moment in time. It's not isolated to a specific thing. It's the, the reason that we chose to sin is because we were giving in to something that's bigger than us, that is, that is uh, Satan-influenced. sin. All sin is Satan-influenced. Whether you stumble into it or it's premeditated, sin is Satan-influenced, Satan-directed, Satan-birthed. So when we are part of that, we're connecting spiritually to this, this evil, this darkness that is pressing, this spirit of Antichrist is the way Th- uh, Thessalonians says it, that this spirit of antichrist that's flowing over the earth that is pushing and pushing and pushing that's why it's so important that we that we don't sin not just because of us although that's obviously the primary reason but it's because we're we're feeding we're feeding the evil beast of of antichrist in society when we sin we think it's just isolated it's not it's all it's all connected together and so now he says that That because of all this, this creation, creation is is waiting, groaning, and then it says, for we know that all creation has been groaning, and then this is how he describes it, or qualifies it, groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Why does he use that descriptor? Tom? um, Okay. Duly noted. Duly noted. as somebody that's never been through it. <laughs> that's some legitimacy there. The creation is waiting because there is going to be something in the future. There is going to be a change and a birth in the future. There is. I'm saying specifically creation. We're not talking about humanity and the salvation of humanity. We're talking about creation itself. All the stuff, the things that God created from from an ant to a tree to a star out in the solar system somewhere. All of creation is is waiting for the, um, a specific moment in the future. Creation doesn't know it. And, and again, I don't want to over-personify creation. I don't think creation is this mystical. That's spiritism. We don't believe that, you know, that creation has this spiritual life of its own but at some level it does have something or it wouldn't use all these descriptors okay so uh it's it is it is not permanent and there is something coming those are those are both good um those are both good parts of this anything else Let's go back to the garden. We always use the term, um, the curse. Uh, The curse, God's curse for women, God's curse for men. I don't like to use that term, per se, because of modern connotations, not because it doesn't fit. But I don't believe that God said, okay, now I'm going to punish you. So this is how I'm going to punish you. I'm going to curse your existence. I do not believe that that's what was happening there. Okay? Uh, Bring some things up. What is the curse for Adam? What What does God say to Adam? Work by the sweat of your brow. Till the ground by the sweat of your brow. To me, that says, Adam, it wasn't laborious to Adam first at the beginning. It wasn't a toiling, sweating kind of thing. And I personally don't believe that Adam had to till the ground. Why? That's one reason. That's a bad one, but that's one reason. Why did Adam not have to till the ground? It did it itself. God took care of all that. Adam didn't plant the first tree Or the first tomato plant? God did. And God was going to keep that happening. What we see now in a broken sense is the fruit or the vegetable or something provides the seed itself. Now in today's society, we also have to do some um, tilling and and pruning and watering all this stuff. Because why? It's not perfect anymore. It's been broken. And God said, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to get the same results that you used to just walk out there. And it was there." Now, was God cursing Adam with this? I don't think so. I think God was saying, this is what you did. Let me tell you the results of what you did. Not, I'm going to create a tilling the ground mentality. You broke it. Now you're going to have to till the ground. Pat? That's exactly what he did. The blessing of being... Um, the authority over this thing and being the the um, co-ruler with God over this creation, Adam handed that over to Satan because he chose a different master. Gave the authority over to Satan, and God said, "Okay, you you chose something besides me. I you I wanted you to have me. You chose uh, Satan, so now he's your authority. But Satan is a destroyer. He's a destructor of things. He's not." He's not a grower. He's not a producer. So now everything's broken. So now he says, Adam, you used to could just go out there and, and um, just pick and do stuff. Uh, but now you're going to have to do this by the sweat of your brow. It's going to be work. God wasn't punishing him. He was giving him what he chose. He was just explaining it to him. Same way with Eve. What is, what is the curse for Eve? <clears throat> okay, pain and childbirth. There's two kind of things going on with Eve. We'll get to the, the second one. You're right, it is much more challenging to, to till the ground. Okay. So, so okay, so what does the, the word Eve mean? Well, first, let's back up. What is the first thing that Adam calls Eve? Woman. He explains it and he says, woman. What does is, what is woman mean? Oh, <laughs> right, yeah. Once he got over the initial, this ain't bad, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) From man. Okay, so now what does Eve mean? The beginning from man, the beginning of humanity. That's basically what he was saying is, to simplify that, the mother of everything. You're the mother of... Of all, forever. You will be the first mother ever of everything. So that's what God planned with Eve. Now let's put in the same concept as Adam walking out in the garden and and just walking out, and he doesn't have to till the ground, he doesn't have to do anything. The fruit is there and it's low hanging and it's ready to go. And this is just me um, personally. I don't believe, again, I can't prove this, um, but I don't believe fruit fell to the ground and rotted. I don't believe that. I believe it fell to the ground and grew something. You say, well, to grow something, it has to rot and die for it to grow something else. That is under the sin. Remember, there was no death. There was no death in the garden. Rotting, decaying, dying didn't exist. This is my opinion, okay? You don't have to buy all this. But we know that dying didn't exist. So how did plants do this? God did it. God just made it all happen. But then Adam breaks it, so he has to, now he has to toil, and now there's gonna be death, and the seed has to, he has to wait for the seed, it has to be cycles and all this other kind of stuff that I don't think he had to I don't think he had to deal with in the garden. In fact, one of the reasons I believe this is because when we get to eternity, remember growing all along the sides of the river, coming out of the very um, uh, city of God, growing all along sides of the river is what? Those trees again. From the garden. And it says they grow their fruit. What is the cycle mentioned in, in Revelation of the trees growing this fruit? All year round, every month, a different fruit. That's what it was in the garden. That's how it was. It it, there wasn't life and death cycles, there was only life cycles, just life. So now we go to Eve, same thing. Eve is the mother of all humanity and there is supposed to be only life from her. No death from her. Okay? I don't know how much I want to go down this road, but... Using the same term of cycles, that is a death-life, death-life cycle that happens every single month. And it's not the way... God, in my opinion, it's not the way God originally intended it. There was only supposed to be life from Eve, not death. And so then God said, you chose somebody besides me. You chose Satan to have the authority. So now you've brought death as the mother of all creation. You've actually brought death to the concept of giving life. Now there's going to be pain in childbirth. And before basically modern um, medical science... There was a lot of deaths in childbirth, too. Moms didn't always make it in childbirth. You have a hand up? Okay, there's two. Th- There's a few things going on with this question, all right? First, uh, God just tells her. She doesn't necessarily know. It's the same with Adam. Adam didn't know tilling the ground before God told him, okay? He just said, Adam, I mean, I'm putting other words into it, but he said, Adam, you used to just have to walk out and pick the fruit. Now you're going to have to work for it. Adam didn't know. Even though he said, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, Adam didn't know what that meant before he said it, okay? Same thing with Eve. I don't think she knew what it meant before God said it. I don't think that Adam and Eve had children in the garden. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that across the board. Risk my life on that, okay? Because there's some other issues going on here with the with the the Nephilim and some of the other things in Scripture where there are other people that we come across later when 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 um, Cain is, after he kills uh, Abel and he's wandering the earth and God puts a mark on his forehead for all the people of the earth to see the mark on his forehead, that's kind of strange because the way we're reading it, Cain and Abel were the first two children ever, right? So who are all these other people that Cain is wandering across the earth with the mark on his forehead that says he murdered his brother, right? I don't want to unpack that tonight. <laughs> okay, that is a big, big subject. I don't think Adam and Eve had children before this, but I wouldn't, to use the terminology, I wouldn't bet against it because we do know one thing when we're reading through Scripture, God doesn't tell us everything that was happening. There's some things we don't have answers for how that got there or how that happened or how these people, who are these people Cain is seeing? And all this. I mean, there's just some things we don't know. But I don't think the, the um the debate for it is really because she didn't know, so maybe God maybe she did know, because that the same way with Adam, that means Adam would have to have known what that was before God said that to him, too. And he and he doesn't, and I don't necessarily believe that Eve. There's a couple reasons for that. There is, yeah, this isn't uh, us against them, okay? Don't make it that, all right? So, <laughs> Okay, so here's the other. Let's go down that road just a little bit. What is the second half of, of the curse for Eve? Again, I don't think God was cursing Eve. I think he was saying, Eve, you chose this. This is the result. You did this. I didn't do this. You did this. A curse would mean God did this to them. And I don't believe that's what's going on. So what's the second half of the curse on Eve? What? Yeah, don't be scared there, Barry. Just say it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. There will be a constant... Um. Now I, let me put this within a little bit of perspective. I believe the the when a man and a woman really try to serve God the best they can in marriage, I believe that does go. I believe in Ephesians four where it says, "Wives, submit to your husbands." That's the that's the the counter attack against this kind of thing, but it still doesn't take it off the table. All right. Uh, another way to say it is a desire, a wife's desire to rule, or or. Um, let me use some mental picture for us so we kind of get this to step in front of him and take the authority why why does God's again I don't think God did this to woman same thing he didn't do this to man he didn't do this to woman he said this is what you chose I'm just explaining what it's going to look like she did it. when when she, gave it when she took the fruit took yes because why Adam and Eve are both standing there right and um, Satan is is talking to them both. Wouldn't this fruit look good? You want, don't you want to be like God, or whatever the case is? And it's just it's it's just uh, it just drives me crazy that Adam just stood there quietly, wimp, just stood there. You know what he's saying basically is this is what's going through Adam's head. God said this is going to kill us. Do you want to try it, Eve? If he it. Where's chivalry? Chivalry should have said, you know what, Eve, I got this. If it's going to kill us, it's going to be me, girl. I'm going to take this one for you. That's what he should have said, but he didn't. He just stood and watched, and Eve's like, okay, if you won't, I'll take it. And God said, Eve, that's the choice you made, and for the rest of existence, that's going to be the battle. Now, I believe that one of the things that fuels that, and because I do get a lot of counseling Times over the years where the, the man is saying, well, she's overbearing and domineering and she tries to be the boss and does all this other kind of stuff. My first natural instinct, and I'm not near as bad as my wife is about this. My first natural instinct, anybody idea what it is? When a man is saying to me, just a time, I'll give you a second, Linda. When a man is saying she's a bossy and she won't let me be in charge or whatever the case is, what do you think? Goes through my head as the the problem most of the time. He's not being a man. There's a vacuum, which is why she's doing that. There's a vacuum. Most women are not like, I'm going to rule. That's not... I mean, I've seen that, but it's, that's not really what's going on most of the time. Most of the time, he's just standing there being a nothing, a bump on the log, spiritually, uh, relationally, emotionally, parentally, all this other stuff. And she says, okay, if you're not, then I will. And then she gets the flack for being the I will. Most of the time, it's because he won't. Is that what you were going to say, Linda? Mostly? You want to add to that, change So, so the the when there's a vacuum, something happens, okay, and that's what Eve did. Now, the sad part is is Eve has to deal with that for the rest of eternity. And and I think that men need to own that a lot more in today's society. That the, the reason that the reason that your wife is so bossy sometimes is, and the reason she's so much in charge and you don't have a voice in, because you're not doing anything. Just be a man. Doesn't mean you gotta be a jerk, but just be a man, lead. My wife, I've heard her say this to women for years and years. If a man will just lead, most women like that. Most women don't struggle with that. Just lead. You don't have to get it right. You don't have to, you're still trying to do it as a couple, but just lead. If are you this is some of the things that men we're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be leading your family in God, praying with your family, talking about, leading them in the things of life, talking about stuff. This is a big one with parenting. A lot of times guys like to just sit back and let mom be the heavy. Right? Instead of saying, come on, kids, you're not going to act like that. We're not going to talk like this. You're not going to do that. We're going to serve God in this household. And when when daughter comes out of the bedroom, Looking like a hoochie mama, ready to go to school. Dad should say, uh no. Dad should say, no. Not just watch mom take the fall for this one. He it doesn't, it's easier. Mom's talking a lot anyway, let her talk there. That's it's a wimpy way out. It's wimpy way out, Sarah. yeah I, I think, and I'm not trying to give Eve a pass here because she she sinned she made a major mistake um, major it's affecting us all but but at some particular point, she was kind of being caught up in the moment the way that God had designed woman, and Eve was not i mean Adam was not bringing the the other half the balance of the male to this relationship. he was just watching Eve go. The natural steps that I think would have been normal for her to take at that moment and uh and and Adam doesn't see when when God says to eve eve for, for the the second half of the curse for eve for the for the rest of time womanhood is going to be trying to um, circumvent the male leadership don't you don't somewhere in there shouldn't Adam have been like that's not good, <laughs> right? I mean, this is an is issue for Adam, too. It's not just an Eve issue. It's an Adam issue. Uh, it, it, both of them got this. Mike, did you have something? Yeah, both of them. That's that's. Remember, that's why they got kicked out of the garden, because of the tree of life, not because they sin, but because because now that they have sinned, you can't live forever, because it's not going to go well. There's going to be disease, corruption. Think about this. Um, think about arthritis at five hundred years old. It was, it it, it actually was. Because they, this is, the, this is the, what I, the term I always use because in my head, this is what I see. After a while, eating of the tree of life or over and over and over and over for year after year, um, when your body is dying and decaying, turns us into zombies. Yeah. Yeah. That that's why I, I did a, a sermon years, this seven or eight years, right before I got here, a couple years before I came here, about this 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 uh, attraction that society has toward um, vampires and things like that. And I believe part of the reason that society is so attracted to it is because it is a description of humanity uh, in the garden, except that it is. Uh, glorified and made to be cool, sexy, attractive, all that kind of stuff, when it's exactly the opposite. Living forever and ever and ever in a dying body, there's nothing attractive about that. There's nothing cool and sexy, even if you do have sharp teeth. There's nothing cool about that. And by the way, let me just throw this out here. Do you realize that your stomach does not digest blood? Just... This is is just kind of weird in my head, okay? It may not mean anything to you. Blood is the life of everything. Blood is literally the life of everything, including our only hope for spiritual life. But our bodies don't digest it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... Those things keep me up at night. So... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm reading this science fiction book. It's it's not Christian or anything. In fact, I think the guy that wrote it's Mormon, but but um and one of the characters in the science fiction book is an immortal. And he's been on the earth for thousands of years. And some of the the statements that they that the author I think has really captured something here and writes down is the despair and the nothingness of this person. What is the point? If you live forever, what's the point? We think that would be cool, but what's the point? The reason that we have a point is because our lives are finite, and we get one shot at this, and we can do something, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't actually know. I can show you. It's in my phone, but I don't. I don't. I don't ever look at the cover. I read the inside. <laughs> it's digital. I don't know what the. I don't even know what the cover looks like. <laughs> but I can show you. It's a whole series. It's like seven books. But um, Brandon Sanderson, I think, is the author's name. I don't know. I could show you. All right. So how are we going to pray about this? Coming back full circle in Romans, creation groaning, one of the aspects is it's going to demand pain. It's going to demand pain because we brought that. We brought that to the table. And, and I believe that can go across the board, emotional, mental, spiritual, everything. Sin brings pain, even residual. In other words, you don't have to actually actively be sinning to have pain. It's the darkness, it's the the disease of this thing so so with all of that said, how are we going to pray? What's stirring inside your spirit? Barry. Yeah, that's really solid. Yeah, I think we all struggle with that. I know I do. Well, let's just leave it at that and pray about that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and maybe I, something that's been kind of consistent the last month or two with this is get our eyes opened, seeing, and, and going along with what Barry is saying there. God wants us to see more than we see. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for you and uh, how big you really are and how amazing you, you are and how much you love us, Lord. We, we know it some in our head, but God, I, I do believe we struggle getting it into our spirit that you really are an amazing, loving, gift-giving, blessing God. And uh, Lord, we ask you to help us to, to just let go and let you be in charge. God, we do want to be obedient to You because Your kindness pushes us towards that. Lord, we want to spend time with You because it's relationship. And uh, Lord, we just want to, to learn to let You be God way bigger than what we do uh, right now. So Lord, cover us with You, fill us with Your Spirit and help us to walk in You more than we've ever walked in You before. And God, help us to be just love and light and a blessing to uh, people during this Christmas season. And then we see that too from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. You don't have to go home. But you got to get out of here.